The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. And we continue in our series that we've been doing this summer. Actually, this concludes our summer series. Next week we'll have a guest preacher, and then we'll pick up with John on uh, September 20th, where we left off. So this is the 11th sermon, I think it is, in our series that we did this summer on what does the Bible say about fill-in-the-blank. And then I let you all fill in those blanks with various topics. And today, it's what does the Bible say about anxiety? <clears throat> what does the Bible say about anxiety? Or what does the Bible say about worry? Or a whole bunch of other synonyms. I'm going to go over that. Uh, before we look to see what the Bible has to say about uh, principles regarding anxiety for the Christian, let me first tell you what I'm not going to talk about and what I don't mean this morning. Very important to clarify that. When I ask the question, what does the Bible say about anxiety, I'm not talking about legitimate concern you can have. That is not what I'm talking about. If you're a parent and you have children, you know what I'm talking about. There is a legitimate concern you have regarding the behavior and the care of your children. <clears throat> it's like when your children are out, maybe they can drive a car now and you are concerned as they go from point A to point B for their safety. And then if they're driving your car, you're doubly concerned about them and your car. But as a parent, there is legitimate concern. I am not talking about that this morning. Uh, when I'm talking about what does the Bible say about anxiety, I'm not talking about a legitimate kind of fear that actually Scripture commands us to have. The book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, says the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And that just means to have awe of God, to have Him first place in your life in terms of His holiness. As the Creator, as the Savior, as the Sovereign One, there needs to be a proper attitude towards God. That is called fear. Fear God, the Judge, the King, the Creator, the Savior. I'm not talking about that this morning either. There are two kinds of fears in Scripture, one that is good, one that is bad. So this morning we're talking about the bad kind of anxiety, fear, whatever else. And also, um, there are legitimate kinds of nervousness. I'm not talking about that. Maybe you've got a sporting event coming up, swimming or soccer or a speech you have to give at school and there's butterflies in your tummy, a nervous reaction, that is very normal. That's not what we're talking about. Or maybe you're troubled and legitimately so in the soul. That happens in life. Many times that's legitimate. We've already seen in the Gospel of John how several times Jesus was troubled or agitated in soul. It affected his emotions. Jesus never sinned. And every time he had trouble and was stirred up in his soul, it was a legitimate kind of being troubled or you could have legitimate sorrow at the loss of a loved one or some sad circumstance in your life. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, God required certain people to, to mourn at certain times, to mourn the death of a king or a family member. So those are all legitimate kinds of reactions that stem from our emotions and how we think. I am not addressing those today. What I am addressing are all the related issues that the Bible says we shouldn't be doing, that are illegitimate responses, either emotionally or in terms of how we think. And those are categorized in the following terms according to the Bible. I'm talking about not having anxiety or being afraid or having an illegitimate ongoing fear that God says you shouldn't be afraid about. One of my Old Testament professors in seminary used to repeatedly remind us that, gentlemen, you know what the most repeated exhortation and promise from God to His people is all throughout Scripture from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation? It is the phrase God repeats more than any other phrase that He repeats to His people, and that is, do not fear. 
I will never forget that. It's been 20 years since that professor said that, and it just sunk into my brain. It pierced my heart. It was comforting and challenging at the same time. That is the number one thing God says to His people all throughout history. Do not fear. And fear is a synonym for anxiety in many instances. And so that's what we're talking about. The kind of anxiety that results in being afraid illegitimately, having illegitimate or illegitimate fear. Other synonyms for anxiety. Fretting. Psalm 37 says it several times. Do not fret. Do not fret. Do not fret. It has to do with your thinking and being troubled in soul on the inside based on your circumstances. Other words used in Scripture, distressed. There's an illegitimate kind of being distressed. Scripture says don't do that. Or being depressed in an illegitimate manner. Depression. Uh, dwelling on problems or fears. Dwelling on things. See, that's the problem. Dwelling on thinking about illegitimate things and then dwelling on them unnecessarily uh, in an ongoing, chronic, compulsive manner where this wrong kind of thinking preoccupies your entire mindset about life. That is the issue we're talking about that Scripture says don't do that. Scripture doesn't just say don't do that. Scripture gives the solution of why you don't have to do that. That's the good news. Um, panic attacks, anxiety... That's what we're talking about today. What does the Bible say about this, leg- this illegitimate kind of preoccupation with our thought life? So let me ask you, people. I'll ask myself the same question. Up to this point, it is now 11.45. Has there anything that has caused you anxiety since you woke up this morning? You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to nod yes, because the answer is probably yes. Some stress or anxiety or trial has entered your mind since... You woke up this morning and maybe it's even preoccupied your thinking to an illegitimate degree. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to address this morning. Things that we illegitimately stress over. Maybe it was about your job. Do you ever stress about your job? I know you do. Do you ever stress about your family? Do you ever have anxiety about family members, how you relate to them? Parents, do you ever have anxiety, illegitimately so, about your children? Oh, where are they going to go to school next year? Oh, what about their college? Oh, when are they get married? 25 years down the road? I know about that. Anybody here have anxiety about their finances and their financial situation? Yep. That's universal. It's a universal challenge. Your finances, the lack of it, how to keep what you have, why you have to spend it all on your car at one time, etc., etc. Do you have any anxiety about relationships you have? People you have to interact with, whether it's somebody at work or your next door neighbor or people at church? Does anybody here have any anxiety about the future and what the future holds for you? Well, if you're a human being, then the answer is yes at one time or another because Scripture says that. And so those are the kind of issues we want to address today. And that's why there were many people who said, what does the Bible say about anxiety? I want to hear about that because it impacts all of us. It really does. Adversely so. The good news is the Bible has a universal response and answer of how really you can be set free and overcome anxiety in your life. And before I jump into our six points about what the Bible has to say about anxiety, just a couple of other preliminary comments. I have counseled people over the years, 15 plus years. It's part of the job of a pastor. It should be biblical counseling and People confide in you and they share things with you. And probably one of the most common areas that Christians have needed counsel is in the area of anxiety or stress or depression. So I've researched it for a long time. I've had many, you know, test cases from people 
I even had Christians tell me that they struggled with depression. And then I said, well, guess what the Bible says about it? And I've had Christians say, well, the Bible doesn't address depression. I'm like, wow, really? You think so? Or the Bible doesn't address panic or anxiety. And then you've got to diagnose the problem correctly then and tell them, well, okay, depression. I'll just take in the scripture and show where David was depressed. Extremely so. There it is. There's an example right there. How did he deal with it? How did God address him? Uh, so Christian, uh, it's going back to the sufficiency of Scripture. The Bible addresses all of these areas that affect our life. The Bible is sufficient. Its truth is sufficient. God is sufficient. Our salvation in Christ is sufficient to deal with all of these problems. Yes, the Bible does deal with all these issues. Depression, anxiety, fear, whatever you want to call it. I grew up in a non-biblical home for 18 years. Never read the Bible. Was never taught the Bible. The only Christian that I remember even meeting for the first 18 years of my life was somebody I met when I was 17 who shared the gospel with me. Other than that, I can't really remember or think of an influential Christian in my life the first 18 years of my life. So I was living a life on my own without God and without hope in the world, without Scripture, without the Bible, without prayer, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, without a network of people to encourage me. I can't even imagine how did I survive? Wow! God's grace. So the first 18 years of my life, I was pretty much on my own, trying to live life in the flesh without God. And I will never forget when I was 18 years old, the end of my senior year, it was May when I was a senior, when I was 18, so 20 plus years ago, not growing up in a Christian home, not knowing any Christians, not having a biblical answer to life's problems, I was facing a crossroads in my life. Man, I'm... I'm graduating. I guess i got to go to college because everybody else is doing that. And here it is, May of my senior year, and I don't have a lead. And I don't have any counselors to give me wisdom. Not relationships that were falling apart. And I was just overwhelmed with anxiety. And I had no solution. I couldn't pray to God because I didn't know God. That never crossed my mind. And all I remember is I was sitting in the bedroom and I just unloaded on my mom. She was not a Christian. At the time. And she just sat there and I unloaded all the, and it wasn't like we had a deep relationship and we didn't talk about personal intimate things, but I just had it and I unloaded on my mom all of my problems, all this anxiety, my world was falling apart and I, I began to cry and just heave like a baby. Crying uncontrollably, probably for about 10 to 15 minutes. And she, she had shock on her face, she didn't know what to do and all, she just hugged me. Kind of felt sorry for her. She had no answers. Pretty sad. That I was miserable. As a matter of fact, I had reached such a point of anxiety and depression at that point in my life. It, it was to the point where many people take their life. They commit suicide, literally. I think, wow, I was so low. Yeah, I, I should have committed suicide. Why didn't I commit suicide? The grace of God. That's all. So I was 18. I was not a Christian. Without God and without hope in the world, in the words of Paul. It was just sad. So I, I know what it is like to be at the lowest point in life in terms of no hope, total depression, chronic anxiety, and no answers. And a year later, God saved me in His grace. Things changed ever since then in how I think about problems and deal with problems in my own life. It's from the Bible. Got saved at age 19 about a year later, and then all of a sudden I had Scripture. I had an answer. I knew the Creator. I had a Savior who could walk me through life. I had the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
I had answers, but I didn't deal with it my anxiety well. I just all I remember looking back during the 20s, I was a very anxious person, fraught with anxiety every day of my life. I was a worrywart of the worst order. Distinctly remember that all through my 20s. I feel sorry for my wife, but anyway. Um, that was during the 20s, but I was growing, I was learning, I had mentors, I had disciplers, I had to reprogram my mind, developed sinful, godless habits of thought that created this anxiety in my life. And then I look back and I think, it was sometime, sometime in the mid-30s of my age, where Christ just set me free, I was not a worry ward anymore. I'm now 43, I think. So some, at some point in my mid-30s, it was like God had set me free and he had liberated. And it didn't happen overnight. It was a process. It was a sanctifying process. He hasn't set me free of every sinful thing in my life, but anxiety was one that was dramatic in terms of a change in my life that liberated me. And I, I can't exactly put my finger on it. I do know that some of the things that caused the greatest worry and concern in my life was the prospect of getting married. That was frightening when I was a Christian. Just the whole idea of getting engaged and having to be the provider and be the head of the home. And man, I am not prepared and competent. And that created angst and great anxiety in my life. And then I got married and said, oh, this isn't so bad. I can do this. And with God's grace, I did. And then the next fearful thing I had was the prospect of having our first child. No way. Can't do that. Unable. So those were the two greatest tests of anxiety in my life since I've been a Christian, was getting married and then having children. And you know what? God got me through both of those. God's grace got me through both of those. And then I've learned a lot and had some great mentors and accountability and God has begun to change my life. I haven't mastered anxiety, haven't overcome it because I still have to deal with anxious thoughts every day of my life. Somebody asked me one time about ten years ago, so how did you overcome anxiety? I was like, oh, I'm glad I hide it well. I haven't. They, they thought I did. So let's go ahead and look. Let's see what the Bible has to say about dealing with anxiety in our life and how as Christians we can overcome it. Let's start with point number one. This is real simple. And this is always my first point in counseling a Christian about anxiety after listening to their story. Do you believe in Scripture? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Is He the authority? Yes. Are you going to submit to what He says? Yes. And let me share this with you. Jesus said it is wrong to worry. Real simple, isn't it? Jesus said it is wrong. Turn to Matthew 6. I know Paul just read this. I do want to just highlight a couple of things in that passage. Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking literally to thousands of people out in the public. These are normal people, everyday people. They share universal struggles and trials in life. In their day, basic sustenance was an issue and a challenge that they had to deal with. They didn't have all this materialism at their disposal like we do here in America. So they were preoccupied with the basics of life. Three times, starting at verse 25 in Matthew 6, Jesus simply tells them, I say to you, do not be anxious. Literally, the Greek text, stop worrying. Jesus knew their heart. He knew their minds. He knew that they were worrying. They were full of anxiety that was illegitimate. They were fretting over issues in life. And Jesus the Lord said, stop that. This is a command. This is an imperative. If you are a believer, you need to obey God with every." imperative or command that He gives. Anytime God gives a command to believers and we disobey that command, then it is disobedience. It is a sin. It is. And here's Jesus saying, Christian or believer, stop worrying. And then He explains why. But I did want to highlight 
three times in this passage, 25 to 34, Jesus tells the crowd, stop worrying. So verse 25, do not be anxious. That is a command we must obey. Verse 31, do not be anxious. And then finally in verse 34, do not be anxious. So at the beginning of his talk, at the end of his talk, and in the middle of his talk, he says, do not be anxious. Stop worrying. And then he fills it all in as to reasons why we don't need to worry if we are a believer. And they're very practical and very helpful. But the point is, Jesus said, it is wrong to worry. It is sinful to worry in illegitimate manners if you are a Christian. And by the way, anxiety or worrying in a sinful manner is not a trivial sin. Well, at least I'm not lying. Well, at least I'm not stealing. No, all sin is unrighteousness, says Scripture. There are huge implications of it. And we're going to see that as to why it's not a trivial sin. It is a significant one. So that's where really you start. If you have a problem with anxiety as a Christian, just be honest and realize, okay, my anxiety and worrying and fretting, it is wrong. It is sinful. And you know what you need to do? Talk to God. God, forgive me for my anxiety. Forgive me for worrying. Wash me in the blood of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for all of my sins, including my sin of worrying, which really, you know what that is? It is a lack of faith because that's what verse... This is Jesus talking. Verse 30. Stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying. Verse 30, at the end of the verse, He says, O ye of little faith. What is anxiety? It is a lapse of faith. It is a lack of faith. It is a lack of trust in God the Father. That's what it is. That's why it is a, an assault on the character of God. That's why we need to confess our sin. Father, forgive me for not trusting You. Forgive me for not trusting Your promises that You have made. Forgive me for ignoring the provision You've put right at my disposal. That's why it's a sin. That's why it's wrong. So, step number one, acknowledge it's wrong. Confess it to God. If you're a believer, you mean that. Knowing Jesus died for you, He will forgive you of that sin. Number two, Anxiety is the opposite of peace and joy. This is huge in counseling. You've got to define your terms and you've got to define them clearly. And you both have to be on the same page when you're talking about this issue to conquer this issue. For a Christian to say, well, depression's not in the Bible. Uh-oh. We've got a problem with terminology then. It is in the Bible. What is anxiety? Well, I've defined it positively at the beginning of the sermon now with opposites. That's always a helpful way to define something. Anxiety is the opposite of peace and joy. That's what anxiety is. Anxiety or worry is a lack of peace and joy in the soul. So then it just doesn't become an issue of what does the Bible say about depression, but the question is, does the Bible say anything about peace and joy? Ding! Lots. So anxiety is the opposite of peace and joy as well as a lot of other things. Uh, Paul makes this Flip to Philippians 4. This is probably the three biggest passages about anxiety in the New Testament. If you want to do more intensive study, it would be Matthew 6. Philippians 4, and then we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter 5 a little later. But Philippians 4 is just absolutely huge. I think this was key and instrumental in my young Christian life to help me overcome battle anxiety in my life and develop a very specific methodology and strategy. Because in you know Matthew 6, Jesus says it's wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And then Paul, actually, the apostle, gives us a strategy of how to deal with it then. What do I deal with? when I'm encountering anxious thoughts in my life? How do I proceed? Is there anything I can do practically? And Paul's saying, yes, absolutely. So Philippians 4. Maybe some of you have heard this verse in 6. Be anxious for nothing. Literally, stop worrying. Quit worrying. Quit fretting. Quit being anxious. This is a command. This is a command from God. If you do it, it is sinful. It is wrong. If you do it, it is a lack of trust in God. Sometimes we're a little too simplistic, though. 
Oh, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. Stop worrying. Okay, next. That's not biblical counseling. You can't just command somebody to do something or command somebody to not do something. You always have to give them the reason why. You always have to point them back to the character of God. And you always have to point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always. That's how you deal with problems. So we can't just deal with verse 6. You've got to deal with the entire context of Philippians 4. I don't want to read through it. Actually, regarding this command, be anxious for nothing. Stop worrying, Christian. Now, if Paul just left it at that, that would be very frustrating. Well, how? That's easy for you to say, Mr. Made of Marble, Mr. Apostle. But Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us how and why to stop worrying. Actually, verse 4 really begins the passage, keeping in mind that when Paul wrote this, he didn't have verse breaks. He didn't have paragraph breaks. He didn't have chapter headings. This is all one context. It's one thought, one theme, all the way from verse 1 to verse 9, actually throughout the rest of the chapter. Starting at verse 4, to bring in some context, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in the Lord. This is a command. Did you know that God commands Christians to have joy? Well, I thought joy was an emotion. How can you command me, God, to have an emotion and just whip up an emotion on my own? Well, joy isn't strictly just an emotion. Joy results from your thought life. Joy comes from a worldview. Joy comes from a perspective you have about God the Creator and Jesus the Savior. That's why God can directly address our will on joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Stop worrying. And it starts here. Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in the Lord. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to battle the emotions sometimes. I know it's hard to battle with difficult circumstances. That's why he has to say it emphatically two times in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And the key is it's not just some conjured up superficial happiness. It's rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in the Lord, Christian. Have joy because you're a believer. Have joy because of what Christ has done for you. Have joy because of who God is. That's why. You cannot say this to an unbeliever because they are not in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. How often? All the time. Always. is a way of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. Get this. A lot of, unfortunately, they broke off verse 5 and 6. They should go together. The Lord is near. God Almighty and Jesus Christ the Savior, Christian, is at your disposal. Immediately and imminently. The Lord is near. Jesus is near. Jesus is with you. He said that. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a great promise for the Christian. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd is with you. The Lord is near. That's the promise. That's why in verse 6 when it says, don't worry, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because the Lord is near if you're a Christian. How far away is God? The infinite creator of the universe. He is just a prayer away, isn't He? He is just a prayer away and He is also living in you through the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. That is near. Wow! The Comforter lives in you. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests, your worries be made known to God. Quit complaining about it in your own mind. Quit complaining to your friends about it. Complain to God about your worries. That's prayer. Anxiety is the opposite of peace and joy. He goes on in this whole context. Boy, if you would do the right thing and think the right thoughts, then here's a promise, verse 7. Instead of all your worrying, you will have the peace of God. If you would pray, trust God, have the right thoughts, God's promise is He will give you peace. What kind of peace? A supernatural peace, not human peace. What's it going to do in the middle of verse 7? It will guard your hearts. That is your emotions. 
And your minds, that is your thought life. That's where worry and anxiety comes from. It comes from our emotions and our thought life. And the promise of God is, you do the right thing, the peace of God will guard your emotions and your thought life. And that will take care of your anxiety. And the greater promise is at the end of verse 9. Not only will the peace of God of verse 7 be with you, at the end of verse 9 it says, the God of peace will be with you. That's even greater. Wow. There's your solution to anxiety. The point there I want to emphasize is anxiety is the opposite of peace and joy. Number three, everyone struggles with anxiety. Everybody. Every Christian. I don't care how super spiritual you think you are or aren't. Everybody struggles with anxiety. So a lot of times when I'm doing counseling with the Christian and they're talking about depression or anxiety or worry, sometimes they come across as though, well, you can't relate because you don't know. No, yeah, yeah, I can. I battle anxiety every day of my life. I battle it every day that I've been a Christian. And every Christian battles anxiety to one degree or another from one day to the next. So this is a universal temptation, battle, and struggle that we have. We're all in this together. That is comforting. It's a universal problem, and God has a universal solution. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, great verse. The Apostle Paul says to Christians, no temptation, no trial, no spiritual struggle. That's what he's talking about. This includes anxiety, worrying, fretting. No temptation has overtaken you or captured you, Christian, but such as is common to man. In other words, I don't care what the problem is in your life. There's somebody else who's dealing with the same thing in their life. Because you don't have unique temptations in your life. You don't have unique sins in your life. These are universal. There's plenty of people who can identify with you. As a matter of fact, Jesus was subjected to every conceivable temptation there was. Jesus was subjected to the test, the trial of being anxious and fretting in an illegitimate manner. He was confronted with that temptation. He resisted that temptation. He did not fall prey to it. He overcame it and has become a model and a resource for us as high priest. No temptation has overcome you, but such is common to man. Everybody struggles in this area. Everybody has to battle this area. And God knows it and God has a solution. God is faithful. I don't care what your problem is in life. God is faithful. If you know Him, He's your Father. He will be faithful. If you are a parent, Dad, today, think about how much you love your children how concerned you are about them, how hard you want to work to prevent problems in their life and relieve their trials and anxieties, how maybe you would even die for your children for their good. Question, Christian dad, is God the Father a better Father than you are and me? The answer is yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It always comes back to the character of God. God is faithful to His children, to believers. God will not allow you, Christian, to be tempted beyond what you are able He's not going to. He knows your threshold of tolerance. He's a good God. He's a personal God. He's very caring. He's not going to crank the temptation all the way up. That's the thing with Jesus' temptations. It was cranked to the highest degree. He resisted all of it, but we can't handle that. He's not going to let us be tempted beyond what we are able, but with the temptation that comes our way, God will provide the way of escape. He's going to, he's going to let us out. We're going to eventually get out of that trial and conflict one way or another. We're going to do it with Him holding our hand, dragging us through if He has to. <clears throat> so everyone struggles with anxiety. And the reasons we have everybody struggles with anxiety, fretting, and worrying is because there are problems in this life. This life is full of problems. This earth is cursed. This life is cursed. Our bodies are cursed. There's a lot to worry about. There's a lot to fret over. There's a lot of trouble coming our way. Job 5.7 says this about the world in which you and I live. Humans are man is born from trouble and as, as, far, as sparks fly upward. There's tr- it's just a no-brainer. This is a, 
a proverbial maxim. There, I have troubles in my life, Pastor. Yeah, I bet you do, and so do I, and everybody else does. That's just a fact. We know that from Scripture. Life is full of troubles. It's all over Scripture. If you're a Christian, uh, the promise from Scripture is that you're going to have troubles. You will be persecuted. You will have trials for being a Christian. If you're single, you're going to have trials for being single. If you're married, you're going to have troubles for being married. If you have children, you have troubles uh, being a parent, and on and on it goes. So, yeah, this world is full of problems. We live in a fallen world. We have sin within us. That creates all kinds of problems and anxiety. We have a real Satan going around seeking whom he may devour and destroy. That creates all kinds of problems and anxiety. Being a Christian creates problems and anxiety. The fact that we are finite and not infinite creates problems and anxiety. So it's just a reality. One pastor said it this way, regarding everyone's struggles with anxiety or troubles or trials. If you are a Christian, you are either entering a trial or you are in the midst of one or just coming out of one. Trials are a routine part of the Christian life. Number four, anxiety is a battle of the mind. This, this is really the underlying theme that can wrap everything together and give it a cohesive whole. It all comes down to the mind. The control of the mind. Our thought life. This is clear from Scripture. Worrying, fretting, is, it is a battle of the mind, of the thought life. That's why when uh, if you go back to Philippians 4, if your finger is still in there, he gives this command in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in Christ. Have joy in God. Well, how do you do that? Well, you have to adjust your thinking. I don't have any joy right now. I've got sorrow right now. I've got problems right now. I've got anxiety. Then change your thinking. Adjust your thinking. Get it up on heaven, up on Christ. It has to do with your thinking. Same thing in verse 6. Stop worrying. How do I do that? Adjust your thinking. Well, how do I do that, Paul? Well, verse 8. Finally, brethren, here's how you can have some joy. Here's how you can have some peace. Here's how you can alleviate anxiety. Adjust your thinking. At the end of verse 8 is the key phrase in this entire passage. It is a command, and he says, let your mind dwell. Literally, think about these things. The Greek word is logizomai. It's just a very specific word, present tense, and it refers to deliberate, calculated thinking. Dwell on the following things. Let your mind be preoccupied with the following things. A person with anxiety has their mind preoccupied on the wrong things. So we need to adjust our thinking. Boy, if you would just at the end of verse 8, let your mind dwell on these things, you'll have some peace in your life and you'll get rid of anxiety. What things? Well, the things that are true. A lot of times people are dwelling on things that are not true and it is creating a false anxiety. It's a real anxiety, but it is a false anxiety. They are preoccupying their thoughts with wrong thinking and it is troubling their soul. They're losing sleep. Their blood pressure is up. Their heart is pounding. And it's a reality they have to contend with. And sometimes it's just you are not thinking about things that are true. Sometimes just thinking on things that are true can alleviate stress. I will never forget as a parent when one of my children was five. And all of a sudden, they, had, they started having these night terrors. Two, three in the morning, waking us up, crying hysterically. Fear, fearful, shocked. Like, whoa, what is going on? And when we talk, and let me say a little prayer for you and put him to bed. Next night, boom, same thing, one in the morning. Whoa, what is going on? Talk about it, pray again, put him to bed. This went on for like seven days. This was getting old. I'm getting tired. Um, so then, by the grace of God, I just uh, started penetrating a little deeper about the thoughts. And so, okay, you're afraid of Satan. That was kind of the common thing. That's, yeah, he's, I see why you should be afraid of Satan. He's evil. And then finally it just dawned on me, I didn't go beyond that. 
Because I just kept saying, oh, you're afraid of Satan? Okay, we'll, we'll pray for God's protection over you and Satan. But then I started probing with questions. Well, what about Satan? Well, he's going to send me to hell. Well, are you a Christian? Yeah. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Well, then he's not going to send you to hell. Well, he can send me to hell anyway. Oh, well, no, he can't. Then I asked this question. Who is in charge of hell? Who's the king of hell? Who determines who goes to hell and who goes to heaven? And they said, Satan. I said, whoa. No, not at all. And I I showed them from Scripture. God was in charge of hell. God created hell. God determines who goes to hell. And it's based on your belief in Jesus Christ. And Satan has no control over hell. Who goes to hell? As a matter of fact, hell was created to punish Satan. He has no power over hell whatsoever. And if you're a Christian, he has no power over you whatsoever. Greater is he, the Holy Spirit, who is in you than Satan, who is in the world. And they, uh, my child was just liberated. I could see it on their eyes. Really? What? Back to sleep. Never had a problem again. That is just one example of having anxiety and real anxiety over wrong thinking. Think on things that are true. Jesus said, know the truth. The truth can set you free. Maybe if you have a problem with anxiety, some of your thinking is not true. You're thinking on wrong things. Untruth. One of the number one sources that creates anxiety in people's lives. Dwell on things that are true, honorable. Think on these things. Be preoccupied in your thinking with these things. Whatever is right, true is... Think on things that are true. That's factually true. And then whatever is right, that is morally true. Whatever is pure, void of sin, preoccupied with holiness, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, whatever is good, there is anything excellent and worthy of praise. Let your mind dwell on these things. So that applies to the books you are reading, the fiction you're reading, the movies you're watching, the DVDs you're watching, the movies you go to at the movie theater, the, like I said, the music you're listening to. Everything that you expose your mind to is subject to verse 8 in Philippians 4. This should be the grid by which you gauge all of your thinking. The grid by which you let all of your thoughts come into. Protect your mind. Protect your thought life. Don't let anything into your life that is going to adversely affect your thought life. From all the things that I just mentioned, being a discerning Christian, examine everything carefully, even to external things like even caffeine or things that might disrupt your physiology, literally. Medications you're taking. I mean, there's a lot of things that can disturb and have an impact on your thinking. So the issue is protecting the mind. It all comes down to the mind. Second Corinthians 10 is a great passage. It goes into detail of the Apostle Paul saying that one discipline for the Christian needs to be controlling your thought life. And he puts it in the garb or the imagery of warfare. And we are soldiers or we are the warden of a prison. And errant, deviant, illegitimate, spontaneous thoughts coming from your mind are like escaped prisoners that you have to capture and imprison them and put them back and not allow them to proceed. Illegitimate thoughts. That's the imagery in 2 Corinthians 10. And Paul says as a Christian, we are, present tense, we are presently taking every thought captive. Take every thought prisoner that comes out of your mind. And the human mind, it can generate a lot of thoughts. And some of you that are quick thinkers and drink a lot of caffeine, man, you're spewing out a lot of thoughts. You're going to be busy taking all those captive. Maybe that's why God said in His wisdom, be still and know that I am. And God. We are taking thought every captive, subjecting it to the obedience of Christ. What's that? Subjecting it to truth. Philippians 4.8. Everything that is true, right, honorable, pure, God-honoring. 
Think only on those things. And you will address anxiety in your life. It all comes down to the mind. Number five, things that cause anxiety from Scripture. I think the number one that I saw throughout Scripture was letter A, and that's guilt. Guilt. Being burdened by your own sin. Being burdened by the fact that you don't, you're not sure if you are going to face God's judgment or not. For your devotions this week, maybe read Psalm 32, Psalm 38, and Psalm 51 in detail. And that's a testimony from David who was overcome with guilt because of unconfessed sin. And it created depression in his life. It created chronic anxiety in his life for a long period of time, almost a year of unconfessed sin and immorality in his life. It tormented him in the mind, spiritually and even physically, began to take a toll on him, losing sleep. Things we can identify with today. Psalm 32 says this, uh, David, how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Oh man, whose sin is covered. Getting forgiven of sin and knowing your sin is forgiven gives liberty, it gives freedom. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose Spirit, there is no deceit. Here it is, verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin, when I had unconfessed sin in my life as a believer, my body wasted away. Physically, he was tormented. Anxiety, lack of sleep, panic attacks, inability to eat. In his day, his doctor would have said, you need medication. Seriously. Because it was physically taking a toll on him. When I kept on about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Groaning, that's on the inside. This is the severest form of anxiety and depression. Day and night, God's hand was heavy upon me. See, God's Spirit was convicting him of his sin and he wasn't confessing for almost a year. And he felt the weight of guilt pressing him down. Literally, depressed. He was depressed. Chronically so. Because he didn't confess the sin, finally he was convicted and he was a believer, so he confessed the sin. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to thee, God, and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Freedom, liberty. That anxiety was gone. So things that cause anxiety, I think the number one answer in Scripture, it's not the only thing. There's a lot of things that cause anxiety, but one is uh, guilt. You know that your sins are forgiven. In Jesus Christ. But read those Psalms on your own. Other things that cause anxiety in your life. Guilt from sin. Uh, B, fretting about the future. The future. What's going to happen tomorrow? What do I have to do this week at work? What's going to happen next month about my job? What's going to happen next year about my insurance and my family or my, my children? And on and on. Worrying about the future. We already read Matthew 6. But one of the things that Jesus said that they were worrying about, that they needed to stop worrying about, was the future. And He said, quit worrying about the future. Worrying is not going to accomplish anything. By the way, you can't change the future. Jesus said that. The reason you shouldn't worry about the future is you can't change the future. The second reason He gave about not worrying about the future is God is in control of the future. Let God control the future. You can't control the future. I don't care if you are a type A personality or a micromanager or a perfectionist or a control freak. You can't control the future. Stop worrying about it. That's what Jesus said. Very practical, isn't it? Man, that hits us right where we live. That's probably one of the number one things we worry about is the future. Jesus said, don't do it. Trust God. Don't worry about the future. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 7, the apostles were worried about the future. Jesus, what's going to happen? When's this going to happen? He simply said this. It's kind of a rebuke. 
It is not for you disciples or believers to know the times or the epic. It is not for you to know the future. Stop worrying about the future. That's none of your business. That's what Jesus said to His disciples. It is not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed. Let God worry about the future. And they responded and said, Okay. Psalm 139, verse 16. Uh, your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is uh, the psalmist talking about his own life, how, he was gonna, how many years he was going to live on earth. Some people worry about their health and how long they're going to live and when am I going to die. Scripture is clear. You know what? How, how long you're going to live, how many years, how many months, how many hours and how many minutes and seconds to the day God already knows. It's already been determined. God knows. So you don't need to worry about it. Just live to the fullness of Christ and let God worry about the future. Same thing with James 4, 13 and 15 says, uh, don't be preoccupied with tomorrow, making plans. You're not in charge. God is in charge of the tomorrow. As a Christian should say, if the Lord wills, I'll see you tomorrow. If it is God's will, we will have Sunday school class next Sunday. We don't know the future. Let God do that. So stop fretting about the future. Other things that cause anxiety. Letter C is worrying about basic provisions. Right? Your finances, a paycheck, food, care for your children, clothes, where you're going to live, where you're going to eat, what you're going to drive, basic provisions. And Jesus simply said, do not worry about basic provisions in life. Your clothes, where you're going to eat, where you're going to live. I don't know if I see anybody here that doesn't own clothes or is without a home after church. Seriously. And I'm not being facetious. Which is, verifies Jesus' point. God the Father is going to take care of you. He's a Father. He promised to take care of His own. So Jesus said, don't worry about basic provisions. Matthew 6.31 Do not be anxious then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or with what shall we clothe ourselves? I know some of you say that at the fellowship meal at the dessert table with the 42 options. What shall we eat? Um, 1 Timothy 6.8 This is the Christian worldview. So maybe you need to modify. Maybe I need to adjust my thinking about basic provisions in life. The Apostle Paul says, Christian, if you have food and clothing and covering with these, just be content. If you've got food, clothing, and a house to live in, thank God. You don't need to go beyond that. First Timothy 6, 8, great verse. The Apostle Paul challenged us and said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am, whether I'm rich or poor. I have learned to be content in all things as a Christian. To always trust in God and thank God for all things. Psalm 37, 25, the psalmist says, I have been young and now I am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken by God or, his, or their descendants begging bread. God takes care of His own. He provides for His children. God the Father knows what you need, Jesus said in Matthew 6. He knows. So quit worrying about basic provisions. Uh, letter D, what causes anxiety? Being self-absorbed. That is huge. Being self-focused. Thinking about self. Me, me, me. Sit down with coffee and we, I talk with somebody. Monitoring is the conversation all about them, them, them. Me, me, me. Shouldn't be. How many one another's are there in the New Testament? We're, we, as Christians, we're supposed to be other-oriented. Pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, love one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, the 30-some-odd one-anothers, which means the Christian is other-oriented. Focus is not on self. It's not about you. That's why Jesus said, if you want to be My disciple, deny yourself. Quit thinking about yourself. It is not about you, Christian. That's the strongest statement Jesus ever made. Deny yourself and follow Me. 
So a lot of this worry and fretting is all about me and all of my problems. Drowning in a sea of your problems. That's why Philippians 4 is such a blessed solution. And Paul can legitimately say, do not be anxious. Stop worrying is the command. And then he gives very practical steps of how not to worry anymore. Well, then what do we do, Paul? Stop worrying. But in everything, by prayer. Oh! So, if you're looking at self and absorbed with self, you're looking inside, myopic, just you, your problems. And Paul says, step number one, pray. What, you know what that is? Taking eyes off of self and looking to God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Oh, there it is. If you've got a problem with anxiety, I would recommend write down all your worries and anxieties and cares and frets. Write them down literally. And then you know what that becomes? That's your prayer list. Dear God, boom, 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 boom. Cast all of your anxieties into His lap because He cares for you. He cares for you. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. So go think of all the anxieties in your life and start praying. Am I praying regularly about those things? With supplication... What is that? That's praying for others. Wow! So you're consumed with self, and Paul says, no, pray. Get your eyes on God. Supplication. Pray for others. Did you know that no matter what problem you have in your life, you can find somebody else who has a bigger problem in their life? That's amazing, isn't it? Here's my piddly little problem. Oh, woe is me. Oh, he's got a big problem. Wow, I don't feel so bad anymore. And then I need to pray for that person. That's what supplication is. Getting eyes off of self, eyes on God, and eyes on other people. Did you know you can't think about their problems and your problems at the same time? And that will eliminate anxiety. God, you are awesome. Thank you for all these great things. So prayer, eyes on God. Supplication, eyes on other people. Eyes off of self. With thanksgiving. Okay, Christian, if you are going to think about yourself, quit thinking about all your problems and be thankful to God of all the great things He's done in your life. See, it's attacking our thinking. Addressing our thinking. Eyes on God. Eyes on other people's problems. When my eyes are on myself, it's thanksgiving for what God has done in my life. And I don't care what is going on in your life or my life. As a Christian, we always have the opportunity to give Christ thanks for salvation. What is greater than that? Nothing. Total forgiveness of sin. Adopted into the family of God. Given the indwelling Spirit in my soul who will never leave me or forsake me to always be my friend, comforter, and teacher. The Word of God. The very mind of God at our disposal. Prayer, which moves God. Christian friends in the church. A network of people to help us. Man, there's a lot to be thankful for, Christian, isn't there? Amen. This is changing our thinking. That's how you deal with anxiety. Changing your thinking. Disciplined, biblical, spiritual thinking. Philippians 4. Then he doesn't just leave it there. It's not that God doesn't care about your problems because he says, stop worrying, but in everything, by prayer. Do you pray about everything in your life? You should. With everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Here it is. Let your requests be made known to God. Tell him about your anxieties. That's why I said, take all your anxieties, write them down. That's your prayer list. After you've done business with honoring God first, others, thanksgiving. Okay, God, here's all of my anxieties and problems. Please, take care of me. He will. So Philippians 4 is just a liberating passage, and you should be living in that if you have a problem with worrying and anxiety. I know I do. Good stuff. D, being self-absorbed. So we need to think about others. That was the point. On D, and then uh, other reasons that we are preoccupied with worry and anxiety, and that's, I've already addressed this, E, that is wrong thinking, so it's a battle of the mind. Jesus said, know the truth, that has to do with how you think, how you program your mind. Know the truth, dwell on the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will be liberated from anxiety if you think 
correctly. Matthew 22, 37. God commands believers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind. The text says all your mind, by the way. We need to be disciplined in our thinking. And the way we think is an act of worship to God. The way we think is an act of worship to God. Love God with all your mind. Be disciplined with your mind. So those are some common causes that could create illegitimate anxiety in our lives. Some of you might be asking, well, why isn't there a point F in trials? Trials that cause... Well, I would say, I would submit that trials don't necessarily cause anxiety. Because there's plenty of people who have trials who don't become anxious. They don't fret. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example. He was thrown in jail in Philippi, shackled, beaten, and he didn't start moping and groaning. He started singing. He was not fretting. And trials, God allows trials in our life to help us to grow. So let's go on uh, in conclusion. Point number six, practically speaking, God's suggestions for attaining peace and joy in our lives. And by the way, you can't have peace and joy while at the same time having anxiety. Did you know that? They cannot mutually coexist. So we, we can't just focus on, you need to stop worrying. We also need to focus on, how can I have peace and joy in my life on a regular basis? That's key. Because that peace and joy will supplant, it will smother out anxiety in your life. So here's some suggestions. God's suggestions for attaining peace and joy in your heart and soul. Point A, salvation. Get saved. Get saved. Isaiah 48:22. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. If you're an unbeliever, you shouldn't have any peace. If you're an unbeliever, you are an enemy of God. There is no peace for the wicked, for the unbelieving. You're a child of wrath. Some people have come to me for counseling. And the first thing I always do, I don't care who it is, when I'm counseling anybody about anything, I want to hear their testimony. I want to find out if they are a Christian or not. Because in our counseling session, if they are a Christian, and I'm confident of it, then I will go on to their specific problem and address it from Scripture. If I'm dealing with somebody who is not a Christian, I'm not going to address their secondary issue of anxiety. I'm going to address the bigger issue. You need to come to know Jesus Christ personally because that is the most imminent danger in your life. No wonder you've got problems in your life. You've rejected the Creator and the Savior of the universe. And you need to repent and be saved. You will have no peace. You can't overcome your anxiety if you don't know Christ. Impossible. So that's what I always do. Look for salvation. If you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, you can't have peace. That is impossible. It's not accessible to you. You need to come to know the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ first. So salvation. If you are a Christian, then God suggests that you live an obedient life. This is how you attain joy and peace. We studied this all summer long in our Bible study on Friday night, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit that comes from the living Holy Spirit who lives in Christians. Paul says in Galatians 5, Christian, walk by the Spirit. That means live an obedient life on a regular basis. Say yes to God. Follow God. Obey God. Be informed of what He requires. And obey Him. Submit to Him as a way of life. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire or the deeds or the lusts of the flesh. You'll be able to resist sin as a lifestyle. And then he says, because the Christian has the Holy Spirit living in them, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, characteristics and attitudes that will exude from the life of a Christian are love, joy, peace. There it is. I'm overcome with anxiety, which means I don't have any joy, which means I don't have any peace, which means then you're not having the fruit of the Spirit in your life. 
which means you need to walk in the Spirit. There's, there's something wrong in your life. It needs to be adjusted, fixed, exposed, repented of, turned around. So it all comes down to what you're doing in life and what you're thinking about life. That's how you deal with anxiety. That's how I approach it in counseling. What is this person thinking or what do they think? What are they doing? If you can zero in on that, you will identify the problem. So Christians, when you walk in obedience, you just have this unbelievable blanket of peace over your soul and your mind. All is well. You can sleep good at night. Obedience. Um, Another thing regarding gaining peace and joy is confession of sin. This brings true peace and true joy in the soul. Confessing sin. Psalm 32, 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin to thee. I confessed my sin to God and God forgave the guilt of my sin. And that brought joy and peace as a result. 1 John 1, 9 says to the Christian, if we as Christians confess our sins on an ongoing, regular basis, Christians should continually be confessing their sin. You have a habit of confession every single day. When was the last time, Christian, you confessed specifically sin to God and sin to Christ and asked Him for forgiveness? 1 John uh, 1, 9 implies that the Christian should be confessing sin regularly. If we confess our sin, or literally when we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all of our sin legally and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the guilt. That's the subjective element of it. Wow. That brings peace. That brings joy. Forgiveness. Psalm 51, David, the same thing. Be gracious to me, O God. Blot out my transgression. Make me to hear joy again in gladness. Restore the joy of the salvation You gave me. He didn't have joy and anxiety because of the sin that was in the way. Confess your sin. D. How else can we attain peace and joy? Prayer and thanksgiving. We already talked about that. Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing but by prayer. Pray about it all. Pray continually. Talk to God about it. I put thanksgiving because that is absolutely essential. Man, go through the Psalms. It is amazing. All those Psalms telling believers to shout for joy. Sing to the Lord. You can be down in the dumps, overcome with anxiety, and nothing can change your state of mind quicker than maybe singing to God. That's what the Psalms say. Sing to, it's a command. Sing to God. That will give you joy. Because once again, if you're singing... I like to blast the music in my car, Christian music. Hopefully not so that it inhibits my driving. But anyway, or at home. I like to turn it up loud. Good. Christian music filling my thoughts with thoughts that bring me to heaven to control my thinking. Because you cannot think about good things and truths and God and honoring Him and worrying at the same time. Can't be done. Thanksgiving, worship, what else should we be doing? E, believing God's Word. Jesus said that being anxious is a lapse of faith. O ye of little faith. A lack of faith. So if you are anxious, if you are worried, what do you need? You need to bolster your faith. You need some faith to encourage you. And there's only one place that faith comes from, and it's from God's Word. That's Romans 10, 9, uh, 17. It can only come from Scripture. That's why you've got to have your nose in the Word or listening to preaching or listening to teaching or listening to the Bible, reading the Bible. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. Only comes from Scripture. Psalm 119.165 Those who love Thy law, those who love Scripture, have great peace. You've got to have your nose in the Word. F. This is the last point. You can have create, literally, peace and joy in your heart by trusting God first. Trusting God first. That's the way Jesus ended His little dissertation on anxiety. Stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying. And then he said, seek first. In other words, you know what that means? Change your priorities. That's what Jesus was saying. Change your thinking. Seek first. Change your pri- Quit thinking about yourself. Quit 
thinking illegitimately. Think properly about the caring, providing Father. That's what he was saying. Seek first. So he's addressing the mind, addressing our priorities. Seek first God's kingdom. That's the spiritual sphere. Quit being so earthly and crass and materialistic. Be heavenly minded. That'll change your thinking. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, holy, holiness, holy living, obeying God, submitting to Scripture. This affects how we live. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all of these things, what are these things? The stuff that He just talked about that you were worrying about. All these things. The clothes you think you need. The food you say you want. The place you need to live. Those things will be added to you. They will be given. That is granted. God the Father will take care of you. Don't worry about them. That's what He's saying. Have the right priorities. God will take care of the rest. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it for me. Amen? Amen to that. I'm just going to close with this, that one wise pastor said that Christ is the only cure for anxiety of heart. And Paul says in Romans chapter 5, because you have been justified, Christian, because you have been saved, you put your faith in the Gospel and have come to know Jesus Christ personally, because you've been justified, we have the peace of God. So peace is a byproduct of knowing God personally as a believer. So I don't know where you're at. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally... And you want peace in life? Then it starts by coming to, like I said earlier, the the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ Himself, bowing the knee and asking Him to come into your life, save you of your sin. Believe in His death and resurrection on your behalf as a sinner. In faith, instantaneously, He will save you and adopt you into His family and give you peace and the spirit of peace. And anybody else, if you need prayer or just have any questions at all, um, one of our... Oh, uh, Scott Varney will be available up front here after the service to pray with, to answer your questions. Um, But let's go ahead and give God the glory as we pray and commit our time to Him. Father, we do thank You for our time today. Thank You for the Lord's Day, which in Your wisdom was designed to pull us away from the busyness of life and the routines that can weigh us down or make us fret, whether it's work, problems in life, So we thank You for this uh, time away that You provide. Thank You. We will take it as a gift to refresh our hearts. Thank You for the truth of Your Word. We know it always does its work. So I do pray that through Your Holy Spirit, You would energize Your Word in the hearts and minds of every single one of us that we will not be an anxious people, but be a thankful people and giving You praise, glory, and thanksgiving for being a caring, loving provider Creator and Savior. Thank You so much that Your Word, it has all the answers, Lord. We commit our time to You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650 Six three zero 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 nine.